Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Get Out of. Today I'm joined by Matt Smallman and Matt is a voice biometrics expert, founder of Simnext Consulting and author of Unlock Your Call Centre and we will talk about that book amongst other things later on but Matt thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube I'm sure you'll agree Matt is by far the most professional looking guest we've had his setup is absolutely brilliant we had a, a chat before the podcast about a week ago and I got kind of tech envy I've got a bit to being a bit of a geek about some of this stuff so apologies not only not only a geek and I think that's something you should lean into and be applauded for but when I said about the tech before I'd even kind of hit or finish the wrap up after our little chat You'd emailed me all of the specs, everything, like a little shopping list that I've, that I've now got. So thanks very much for that. You're welcome. So I guess we're going to talk about the book later, but just in terms of some of the motivation behind that, it was born out of some of the experiences that you've seen in your career, but also what you know is happening every day, right, in terms of poor kind of security experiences for us in the industry and also customers. Yeah, so I guess there's a there's a couple of things that kind of in my my background that that lead me to that. So first off is a, a is a brief but kind of a significant military career where I was at the turn of the century, kind of global war on terror and the rest of it was working in, on deployed operations and dealing with some quite significant risks in those environments and quite often kind of solving new and novel problems with a combination of people and technology. And I think that kind of approach to risk management came through as I moved into the commercial sector and I started working for some large UK retail banks uh, and eventually found myself in the in the contact center and the, for me the contact centers like it, it's an it's kind of the beating heart of a of an organization because like no matter how much people do self-service they're invariably quite transactional interactions but when a when a customer really needs help or support from an organization whether that actually whether they could do it themselves or not but they're seeking out another person they turn to the contact center and the the jobs that the pe people do there um on the front line are kind of there there's kind of almost like cyborgian kind of roles in my view like kind of got so many screens and technology trying to augment this human who's trying to kind of do their best job possible to service the customer in the name of our of our organizations and that, that kind of fascinated me and as i spent more time understanding and working in kind of improving the performance of those organizations it became increasingly clear like the thing we need to do on every call is this well nearly every call in most organizations particularly in banking is identification authentication and, it, and it's just like if i Play that back to my military experience it's like it's like we're not actually providing any security but we're making all these people do these horrible torturous dances and and more importantly our frontline agents kind of jump between this system and this system and be really scared they've got frauds to run the line and have to figure out whether it's question two from bank three or the, which one's the randomized pin today it's really quite a challenging job for people and i really felt like it held it held the performance of our organization of our of our teams back so I did kind of go out on a bit of a mission to try and find ways to solve. And that's kind of what led to falling into voice biometrics, having been laughed out of a few offices along the way about about five, six years ago. Oh no, almost a decade ago now, actually. And ultimately to what led to this book, kind of working with other organizations to help them implement this technology and figuring out like, this is not a, this is not, not a kind of one-off problem. Like 
there's not one person on probably watching this or listening to this now who doesn't have one of those terrible security experience dinner party kind of conversations oh i called xyz and they made me do this i think i my, my best example was my my wife's credit card company or my credit card company who my wife is an additional card holder to speaking to them when she tried to set up something they locked her card they, she couldn't speak because she didn't have her PIN uh, password. So I had to call them after waiting in queue and being told because of COVID, because of COVID, and you can do this online, which I couldn't. Getting through to somebody who then asked me exactly how much my um, available, how, what my credit limit was, which was conveniently the amount they'd just told me in the IVR before I got to them. So it's like, I'm not even sure this is, this isn't even really security. And I, and I refer to, there's a, there's a great book, like after the, after 9-11, there was a lot of what we call security theater going on. You remember getting on an airplane, you used to, have to walk onto an airplane without any security at all. But now no one would get on an airplane unless all the other people who were on the airplane had been searched and checked and their toothbrushes hadn't been checked. They're not too long or too sharp. Um, but that, that's not necessarily providing a lot of security, but it's providing reassurance to you as the customer, you as the user of that service. And there's a lot of security theater that goes on um, in the world to make people feel secure. But this isn't even security theater. Like I know it's not secure. The agent knows it's not secure. The organization that runs this contact center knows it's not secure because they can see the fraud volume. So I almost feel that's kind of like a security farce. And I'm kind of... Um, Got my, my mission really is to get rid of that get rid of those stuff like if we're going to have security let's have proper security but let's choose security methods that um are usable efficient and actually provide security and, and that's kind of that journey uh, is what led to the book and us speaking today so that was a very well winded then, rambling answer <laughs> no i love it because there's a there's a lot to pick out there and i guess to start with and it's remiss of me that i haven't kind of asked you that career journey, because it's it's probably a different one to a lot of people are, are used to. Were you always sort of drawn to the military or when did you join up? So I, I joined up well before there was a... <laughs> I joined up when we were peacekeeping in the in the Balkans and when the, the Cold War was ending and we we're peacekeeping in the Balkans and it all looked very, very attractive with skiing holidays and sailing and uh, a lot of sport that rap that rapidly changed, but incredibly kind of formative experiences for, for me, it was like, I, I learned an awful lot, but ultimately I, I kind of find it hard to motivate people in, in kind of who are intrinsically unmotivated so eventually I found myself working in some very specialist kind of niches of that and amazing teams amazingly professional uh teams but ultimately that wasn't kind of like it's was quite an intense period of my life and not really conducive to family and children and I just recently got married so I I, I left at that point and found myself in in banking and again kind of almost starting on on the ground floor but kind of gravitated towards the contact center because it is this kind of combination of like technology like if you don't get the technology right then the people aren't very effective but if you don't get the people right it doesn't matter how much money you spend on technology and if you don't kind of as a manager as a leader kind of figure out how to put all those together then the the whole thing's ineffective and so it's some really formative times particularly kind of leading change and crisis response teams through through 2009 and when the, the banking crash and all the rest mm -hmm. of it and kind of when you when you're seeing the kind of 25 30 minute queues on the boards it's like this is really formative experiences but also realize like if we could take 60 seconds off every one of these calls because we didn't have to do this security dance like we could be getting to those people a lot a lot sooner so it kind of forced my, my mind at that point 
I know from being an agent and then leading agents that I always used to think if you've had long wait times, and again, my I a lot of after some B2B and outsourcing, I ended up in finance where security was kind of drummed into you, you know, that kind of but I always thought if someone's gone through a long IVR and then their first experience is to go through security checks, it's very hard to kind of bring brevity to the mood because it's it they're they're frustrated when they arrive, then it's quite serious, and then you're trying to build rapport. It's it's very challenging. Well, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. And if we kind of fast forward, like like I, I think we're in kind of self service two dot zero, whatever we are now. So we, we've kind of all rushed to build these kind of mobile apps and websites, and they're kind of broadly functional. They meet the majority of needs, but they're not necessarily as effective at doing that as they could be. So there's still a lot of fallout of that. And people who would like to do stuff themselves who end up in call centers and contact centers because we haven't done a great job of the self-service stuff that they want to do for themselves or or actually our products and propositions are too complex and we should get better at making those those better but even if we did even if we solved all of those problems and everyone who wanted to do stuff themselves could do it themselves there would still be a whole chunk of people out there who are seeking a human interaction who are seeking the kind of the empathy as you talked about the rapport the relationship they they need someone to um to trust who's giving them advice. It may not be actual advice, but they need to feel reassured that somebody has actually got hold of this. Like a, I was, one of my favorite examples is working in the kind of a, a, a private banking division is like, you, you could literally, and I think somebody did, buy an oil rig on our online on online banking services like yes there was a couple of different approvals and some smart cards and it was very secure and all the rest of it but that's there was no reason that same customer wouldn't call up on the personal account to transfer some money to their children because it's an emotional there's an emotional kind of connection to that and exactly as you say we kind of we we call up with an intent i know what i want to do i know i need this help i know i need someone to trust me or to explain this problem to me and then we make them do this dance like this whole kind of you're not who you claim to be but I am who I claim to be I know I am uh, and I, I think we've kind of become complacent and just kind of it's been beaten into us so long we just kind of don't notice it and I, I see that same thing in in contact centers we we, it, we look at our kind of AHT stats and so when we're doing resource planning and we kind of accept that there's kind of like up to 20% of that that we do on every call that is just the security process we like, oh, that, that can't be improved well that, well, that absolutely can and when we do improve it and we've seen some some fantastic results when we kind of get the the whole pressure of the security process out of the agent's head they're better able to listen to what the customer's saying you know that kind of that first five seconds of the call where i, I call it the unload moment where the customer goes oh thank god i'm speaking to a human i've got all these problems please help me with them and most agents are going oh, i've got to get them through security got to get them through security hope they're not a fraudster. Yeah. Hope they're not a fraudster. <laughs> um and they just don't listen to that and they, they hear yeah. one or two keywords and, and we've seen some fantastic examples with clients where they're picked up on can i actually know that the context of this call is slightly different this is about something that they it's not the stated intent it's the kind of the unstated intent and i need to respond to that and react to that because we've taken security out of the way and we've just turn it into a tick box on the screen that as long as it goes green, they carry on. They're, they're far better able to serve that customer and that customer is far more satisfied. And, and in practice, they enjoy their jobs more. Like no one, 
well, <laughs> very few people get into this industry because they want to interrogate people. <laughs> there are there are other jobs you can do for, if you wanted to interrogate people. They want to help, and the kind of skills that we want we want to need in the future those kind of relationship builders, problem solvers, technical experts. They're not the same sort of people who are happy spending. 20% of their day interrogating people. So I think it's kind of, it, it's as much a kind of retention and agent experience as it is a customer experience challenge for me. I completely agree. And I know that the agent is probably thinking, well, this is the start of the QA scorecard right now. And <laughs> yeah. the, cust- the customer's talking to me, but I'm going, right, here are the three steps I've got to take them through. So I really, I think that's an excellent um, point. You, you mentioned something there about You've seen some great examples and there are solutions. Can you just talk to them, the, the screen turning green, the tick going, how, how does this work? Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I, I think you led with the voice biometrics expert thing. And I think that's that's an interesting set of technologies. If you think about that, except like the, the in practice voice biometrics, like it, it, it's it's brilliant in, in the context of a phone call because of using our voices inherent in in the interaction. We're not asking the customers to do anything different or or separate on top of the call. We can just use the voice that's there. And the technology to do that has existed since the kind of the 1950s. But the kind of the the applicability of it to our contact centers has been challenged by a bunch of factors like computing power, accuracy and performance, those algorithms, the integration complexity. But actually, as we kind of come into the, the kind of next wave of contact center technology platforms and like, it's significantly easier to implement these kind of technologies. And, and I know many people listening to this would have heard about this stuff before. And, and in fact, many organizations evaluated voice biometrics, particularly probably a decade ago, or maybe even again, five years ago, and, and, and found it wanting for a number of reasons. And, and, and they are they were probably valid in, in thinking that at that time. What we have seen, though, is, is, a, is a large swathe of particularly financial services, particularly consumer-facing financial services, deploy this technology and see some really impressive results uh, from it. So it is definitely quicker, easier, and, and more secure, th- those interactions. We see increased levels of self-service. We see reduced handle time. We see improved kind of agent satisfaction with those with, with deploying voice metrics. But it, it, it's not necessarily for everyone. And I, I kind of break down the security space into kind of three groups of stuff. What so I call what I call traditional authentication. And if you think about kind of how did we get to the situation we're in today? And if, if kind of rolling back to the turn of the century, if you went to your bank, you'd kind of be, you'd literally be walking into your bank and they would probably know you. So they would recognize you. It's about the inherent properties of that. And then kind of banks started getting bigger and less personalized. Another service organization became bigger and less personalized. And we started issuing account numbers. So that makes it easier to identify people. And then we started worrying about security fraud. People started to take advantage of that. So we needed to add security steps and security measures. So we started asking simple questions. And it was fine to ask simple questions because um, that information wasn't out there. Like I, I could probably find out pretty much anyone's date of birth just by guessing at the, looking at their Facebook profile or their Twitter page or when do people say happy birthday to them on, on XYZ social platform. So date of birth is completely irrelevant. Mother's maiden name is almost completely irrelevant as a security factor because just all that information is out there. So we kind of evolved beyond that to what I kind of call more transitional methods. So stuff like we realize and, and 
the advantage of those kind of questions is that they are pretty usable, but they've become increasingly less secure. Like customers don't have trouble remembering them. We have most of that data and it's not hard to ask those questions, but they've become less and less secure. So as, as we've noticed they've become less secure, organizations have started to implement additional security measures. And, and nearly every case, when they add security, then reducing usability and incurring an additional cost. So if you think about pins and passwords, yeah, it's like, oh, now I have to remember, is it let's, it, like, which pin yeah. did I use for this organization or which password yeah. is it for this? And, and then we have to do that mental gymnastics of like, it's the seventh and the 12th character of my password, but which, the only <laughs> can, which must contain special characters, capitals, and three numbers. And we're like, oh, and, and then and it, it's technically it's more secure, but in practice, it's significantly less usable. And if we actually look at the kind of the end-to-end -end metrics with some stuff like that, the efficiency is pretty poor as well, because we end up with a whole bunch of people in our um, either being denied service. And we kind of straight to like if someone fails the security process and we deny them service, we just kind of see that as success, but or the security people might see that as success, but actually that they're real customers. 99.999% of those people who fail your security process are your customers and you've just really frustrated them and annoyed them. And they may not have even be phoning about anything that was particularly risky. Or So I, I think we ended up in this kind of transition, this set of transitional measures, which yes, do add security. And, and I put one-time passcodes and text to your phone. They do add security, some security, but they're ultimately, they're, they're, they're they're quite technically easy to defeat. And that's where we see this kind of wave of social engineering attacks. Like I can phone you and say, oh, I'm just about to send you a, I'm phoning to check this uh, fraudulent uh, transaction or to confirm your order. I'm just about to text you a number or your bank's just about to text you a number. Can you please tell me the number? Or hi, I'm calling from XYZ. Please tell me your um, seventh and eighth letter of your password. And then they're keyed into the online system or wherever they are. So they're, they're becoming increasingly less secure as people target them but they're still like their usability hasn't improved and their efficiency hasn't improved anymore, but they're just becoming less secure. So what I like to talk about is, is a set of modern authentication methods and kind of the, the principle of these things is that they must be largely passive. So they kind of should be about who you are, what you have, rather than stuff you know, because stuff you know can be easily stolen and compromised. Stuff you are is a lot harder and more challenging to compromise. So this kind of set of modern authentication methods should also be probabilistic from the organization's perspective. So I can dial up and dial down, like how confident do I really need to be to give you a balance versus how confident do I really need to be to empty your whole account to a Russian bank account. So there's a very different, there's a very different set of risks there. And if I can, if, if I can dial that up as an organization, rather than get the agent or the customer to dial that up, then that gives me a lot, lot of opportunities. So I talk about a set of modern authentication methods and that that's to a large extent what the book covers. And, and most effective today, we have two, we have voice by metrics, which people will be familiar with for calling probably your retail bank that comes in kind of two flavors, the kind of my voice is my password, or kind of slightly more conversational one that takes place in the back of the agent conversation. And, and in practice, whilst those kind of what we call text dependent methods, my voice, my password, they do have, they do have value and they do, they are adding value to those organizations and security. They're rapidly being surpassed by the kind of more passive and conversational technologies, which can even be used in a self-service IVR. So as you speak to a, what would you want to do today? I'd like to confirm my order or provide you a meter reading or kind of talk about this. I can do authentication in the background of that. 
And then the second set of technologies is what we call network authentication. Most people now, I, I remember doing this analysis probably a decade ago, we look at kind of the inbound calls coming to a content center. And we're like, we didn't even have numbers on half the calls that came in. And now I'm talking to clients and we've got like 95% of calls come in with a declared caller ID number. And that's great because we can go and look that up in our databases. Most people are now phoning from mobile phones. Mobile phone numbers don't change that frequently. So we can go and look that up and we can complete identification on the basis of that number. But can we be really sure that that number is the person on that line is the number it's claiming to be? And that there's a lot of risks of spoofing and all the rest of it. But the same kind of technology, the same kind of messaging that's used to get the phone in, phone call to our contact center contains a whole bunch of additional metadata, which tells us where it came from, where it's been on the route. And we can analyze that data to understand the risk that this person isn't trying to, someone's trying to impersonate this phone number versus it being the real phone number. So we call that kind of set of technologies network authentication. And it has some distinct advantages over voice biometrics and some challenges to it. So you don't have to enroll people we don't necessarily need uh, it's not necessarily particularly privacy inv invasive so we don't necessarily need the same degree of permissions and consents and conversations and legal terms which you might do for biometrics but it does have some challenges as well so we need to know the phone number we need to be right about it and there's some challenges with kind of related parties can get hold of your phone and stuff like that so th there are a range of different solutions that will be appropriate for different organizations depending on the kind of the frequency of customers who are calling them the level of risk they're exposed to the better quality of data they have the longevity of those relationships so it's it's not it's not like you must do this and i'm i'm like whilst i started off probably as the biggest proponent of voice biometrics i think kind of over the last decade or so that the realism and speaking to dozens of organizations in multiple verticals in different countries it, it comes really clear that kind of like the principles are right, but we need to find the right technology for the to solve the specific organization's problem. And and just just I don't I know I've been talking for a while, but the, the one the one thing and I kind of my top tip for everyone is like forget about kind of the what you could do. Like many organizations I speak to don't have a good enough grip on what they how they're doing today. And I think that's the biggest problem. We've kind of accepted this stuff for so long that we don't we just we just it's the kind of it's just ignored off in the corner we won't talk about it and like we don't actually know how we're performing so it's very difficult to know what the value of doing better is if we don't know how we're performing today so kind of yes there are a range of solutions out there but figuring out which solutions are right for you you have to know where you're starting from otherwise you're just going to get pushed around by vendors telling you the latest shiny widgets widgets and that you have no idea whether that's going to be the right solution for you or not so I'm rambling today. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's fascinating stuff. It really is, and it's it's so thought provoking. Something you said earlier on just made me think about some of you, you can't help but think of your own experiences, and even just so using my phone and Face ID, but then needing to do something different. It was actually about some of the charity work that's going on to access the bank. I always get this. I always think, what did the previous version of me say? Because I, I take the questions a little bit too literally. So, for example, what was your first pet? Well, the first pet I had was a rabbit called Tetley, but that died when I was a baby because the next-door neighbor's dog attacked it. The first pet I remember... You probably shouldn't say that on a thing like this being recorded <laughs> and we can play it back later. Well, uh, well good point. Change your name to um, protect the innocent. <laughs> okay. So let's say but the one I remember was a hamster. I'm going to call that hamster Spider-Man now. And I remember thinking... Did I, what answer did I give? Because in my mind, it could be one of those two. 
And even that is just, it, to your point earlier about, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I've, as as well as being a geek of technology and really excited, interested in that, I kind of, in this field, I really enjoy some of the human psychological behavioral issues around it. And that, that, that kind of, that's a cognitive load that we're placing on you. Yeah, like you called up with an intent and you, your kind of rational mind is thinking, right, I'm going to speak to somebody. I'm going to tell them my problem. They're going to solve it for me. So that you've kind of played that out in your mind and you're prepared for that. And then somebody asks you that question, like, and that, that creates this huge amount of work for you. So this interaction now feels significantly more effortful than it, than it actually needs to be. So you, you're, you then end up projecting that effort onto your perception of that organization. And not not that their question was particularly hard but your the load that came to you from answering it is now is now kind of built into your perception of them as an organization they are hard to do business with i'm not sure i like them if i had a choice would i go somewhere else if an alternative came up would i consider it because you've just added this kind of cognitive load that's now projected on that organization and there are some other factors like cognitive dissonance when that's not what i'm expecting and it kind of causes friction and, and stress but yeah there's a huge set of kind of behavioral psychological things that i think we're just ignored in this but we're just kind of like this is the way it's going to be i'm the organization it's kind of that power play like I'm the company, they're the customer, they'll do what I tell them to do. And I think kind of as we as we look forwards, that, that's just not a tenable competitive position for many organizations to be in. And it is, like you say, from an operations point of view as well, ID and V, DPA, these were things that were not to be questioned, that you just did them. And then you tried to deliver as good an experience as possible after that point. But I'm really interested in, um, where you ended up, which was for people that are listening, how how do you assess where you are right now? Because, like you say, your the, the the technology that's available now sounds like something we should all be getting into, and it sounds great because it's it's reducing that load. It's going to make it a reduced effort for the customer. But in terms of where people are right now, where do you start with really understanding how well you're doing or what you need? Well, I think it like like all things contact centers, you you end up you have to come back to the numbers. Yeah, this is a this is a numbers game, and there's no like you're, you're as as a as a leader or even even on the front line, your your perception of what's happening may not match reality. So so you need to get those numbers, <laughs> and that the numbers are invariably challenging to come by. So I think if you We'll, we'll, we'll point people at the book and the website later, but what I use, the, the tool I found to be most effective is what I call the security path visualization, which is where we basically have like a, a tree diagram where we have 100% of calls come in on the left. And then depending on whether they get identified by our automated systems or authenticated by automated systems or handled by self-service, creates a set of branches and whether they go to an agent for identification or an agent for identification and authentication, whether they get successful or unsuccessful, we kind of produce this branching structure. And that's incredibly, and, and we make the lines as thick as the percentage of calls that are going down them. And it's, it's a real, we're not doing that type of podcast. I won't, I won't, I won't kill people with PowerPoint, but if you, if you go to our website or go to look at the book, you, you'll see the, these diagrams and without fail, every time these have been enlightening for the organizations that we use them with, because like, ah, oh, okay. 
because in, in some companies, 20 to 30% of calls never hit an agent because they're, they're dealt with in self-service. Yet all of those customers had to answer some terrible ID and authentication questions as well. And then a whole bunch, of, a whole bunch more could have gone into that process if we'd just done a bit better at tying it up. And then we've got that whole kind of challenge that will drive everyone mad, which is like we did identify the customer in the IVR, but we failed to tell the agent when we connected the calls. So uh, this, this visualization process kind of getting into numbers, like from hundred percent of calls, how many got identified by IVR, how many got authenticated by IVR, how many of those ended up with an agent, how many, of, how many who didn't ended up with an agent. I think that, that, that for me, that one step it's, it's, it's in practice harder than it sounds as I'm sure everyone on, on this will know, but that, that, that is probably the most powerful step. And then you can see, see where you are. And, and in practice, each one of those branches, and we usually see kind of seven or eight of them, depending on the kind of different permutations and combinations, you don't have to make it too complex. Each one of those has a different security implication, a different cost implication in terms of handle time and a different usability implication in terms of what it felt like for the customer and for the agent. So once you know who's going down each of these paths, you can then understand kind of where you are today. And we do also have a, a scorecard that we use just to assess this. So if you're able to get those numbers and you can you go to, again, go to our website, you can drop them into a very quick scorecard and we'll, we'll give you a score on the performance of your process. And we, we again, always come back to these three dimensions about usability, efficiency, and security. And they kind of, they're all kind of slightly related, but yeah, it, it, that you need, you need to understand where you start. And, and then there's some more questions, I guess, around what definitely around kind of frequency of call, the type of risk you're exposed to, whether it's better to actually just think about fraud prevention rather than identification and authentication, because that's might where you get your biggest reward from. And if you if you're successful at that, you may be able to reduce the load up front. Just thinking about it, just a quick anecdote from your previous call. I remember being in a discussion with a security team um, about how we were still we were still seeing a lot of fraud coming into our organization, and 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 it literally got to well, we should ask another question then, shouldn't we? And no, knowing that like asking another question from our bank of whatever we had we had two question banks near to ask two from each, so we we're already asking four knowledge based questions. Some of them were transactional, some of them were personal, and the security team's responsible. Let's ask another question, and I can guarantee like every fraudster we asked that question to would pass it, and fifty percent of customers that like just would just drop off the end. And it's just not that you can't control and vary security like that. It's just a, another amusing anecdote. Sorry, for dropping in. <laughs> oh, I like it. Do you, do you think people listening, um, even if they haven't gone through that exercise of understanding where they are, I think that it's great, and I've seen it in the in the book, and it is very powerful to see for sure. Do you think though that people are thinking, especially if they're in a sector that it is really it's a real requirement? But do you think people are put off because they believe? it's the technology is going to be prohibitive either cost implementation yeah i think that there's definitely there's definitely an element of that and i i would like have, having having been on the inside of these very large enterprise deployments like over the last decade or so, so some of those like those organizations have complex in technology infrastructure they have uh huge range of regulatory and compliance requirements and a lot of stakeholders with a lot of opinions <laughs> so th those projects can become large and expensive and the, and the technology and the platforms they're operating with are invariably quite customized i think today and particularly what we've seen accelerated over the last two years as kind of contact centers realize that their kind of on-premise solutions and their legacy technology just isn't working for them and isn't fit for kind of 
flexible working patterns, working from home and all, and all of that. We, we've seen this enormous shift to contact center as a service type platforms. And that so dramatically simplifies the integration process and delivery process. Like in, in some of these platforms, it, it is a case of flicking a switch in the admin panel. Like that, that's the technical integration. Yes, there's a bunch of business processes you need to come up with to, to figure around that, but that's the technical integration. And we've gone from kind of, um, 20, 30 cents a transaction or call down to kind of <laughs> two to five cents, two to five pence per call. So like the, the, the kind of marginal cost of these plus the cost and complexity of integration is falling and continues to fall dramatically. I, th I think what's also interesting is I, as I look at the market with my kind of market analyst hat on, as well as a kind of practitioner is that we kind of see, we see kind of emergence of a stratification of the the technology players so it's not that there is just one player or two players who price at this level and serve this market we have amazon and google with their own solutions which are which work but may not be the most customizable but they're, they're like at one cent and half a cent per call like if it's only costing you half a cent per call and i'm saving 30 seconds that what, what that what's not to like about that yeah. now they may not be the most customized solutions and for some and and because many organizations won't have a set of high security requirements uh, and those will be completely appropriate for them and then what we've seen emerging in the middle is this kind of set of technology providers and white label products and add-ons add to existing platforms, which are, which are customizable, which do have kind of configuration that you would want as an enterprise. You want to choose your risk, risk level. Yeah. How confident do I need to be? I might want to make special adaptions for my particular customer base or to train it for my particular customer base, my particular use case. And we've seen this emergence of a, of a middle ground of players in that market who are, who are more about scale than they are about kind of the, the, the 99th point ninth percentile of performance in these others and in practice like excluding the kind of the big big retail banks who are by virtue of their size the victims of most fraud or the targets of most fraud most of the rest of us those solutions are more than good enough for us and they come at a price point that's appropriate for most people so uh, i'm not saying that kind of it, it's I'm not saying it's an easy journey otherwise i wouldn't have a job but th th there's work to do but i, I think if I thought about the barriers to this stuff, that the last remaining barrier, and particularly the reason behind the book, is is enterprise and organisation and business understanding that there is a problem, and that they can then take action against it. So it, it's not that we don't, it's not that we haven't solved the technical problems, and it's not that it can't be done cost effectively. It's not that we haven't solved the how do we put this in front of customers and how do we get them to use it. We've solved all those problems. It's it's that last gap. It's the kind of how do we like do enterprises actually recognize that this is an opportunity to, to move on? And I think it's, when I look at that, it's really interesting, just like the different global markets, the paces they're moving out. I think the UK is doing really well in that space, really recognizes that there's more it can do there. But uh, yeah, it's really interesting just how, how that varies, particularly across Europe. And let's get on to the book. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm just going <laughs> to hold up my copy, my signed copy, oh. Unlock Your Call Center. Oh, there we go. And it's, do you know what? First and foremost, thank you for for writing it, not, not just um, sending it, but thank you for writing it. Because as you may know, I'm kind of evangelical about our industry and uh, what a great industry it is. And if you, there, it's always surprised me that there aren't many books written about contact centers. So your one was just great to, to see. And I'm really, really interested, in, as I'm sure a lot of people are, you've talked 
about your passion and you've got your you obviously evidence your expertise not just here of course but across your career but in terms of that passion to say I, I really want to write a book I the motivation to do it is one thing but then then actually doing it when did this or when did you actually start putting pen to paper or sitting at your keyboard well, I think I think for for anyone who kind of takes the step out of corporate life to be a, to be a consultant, to be an independent consultant, you need to think about your your methodology and your approach. Like, what is it? What is it that I bring to the party that that, that organizations can't do themselves? What is it? It's it's both knowledge, but it's also a set of tools and 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 ways of working and ways of thinking. So, so as, as I became an independent consultant six, five, six years ago now, that, that was for, front and foremost to my mind. So I had this, like, I think these are the tools. I think these are the, I think this is the experience and the way of thinking that I bring to the problem, but I needed to field test that in practice. So like, I, I, I heard from a client yesterday that has, has done 73 million authentications with the technology that we help them implement. And that's like, okay, so this stuff, this, this works. Yeah. This is like, these were, they were all quicker, easier and more secure. So I think over the last five, six years, kind of my, my methodology and thought process has, has matured to say like, okay, this is becoming repeatable. I'm not like kind of making this up every, like most consultants you get into your organizations, like let's, let's be honest. Yeah. They are, they are like, they're, they're one page ahead of you in the book. <laughs> they're making it up as they go along in some sense. So yeah. They're bright people and they've seen some other stuff and they're, they're but they are, they're just they're just moving forwards just a bit quicker than you in some cases so i became increasingly confident that like kind of this is this is working yeah and and then it became really clear that in the future we, we kind of we've done we've done the large us retail banks we've done and financial services we've done the uk ones like in in practice like people don't people aren't gonna spend kind of whatever i cost per day for multiple years on a on a on a project so that the next wave of people who want to use this technology is going to be different there's going to be some people who need help and there's going to be some people who because of the practicalities the technology can do it themselves but they still really need like to be successful they still need some of these tools and these ways of thinking and i think there are some really simple concepts in the book that that over time have just become so pivotal to the way i think about this problem so that the first is like the security convenience trade-off yeah like every security system, there's a curve that kind of like the most perfectly secure system is completely unusable and the most perfectly usable system or most convenient system is completely insecure. And there's a kind of a trade-off curve that relates between the two. And every security system exists on a, a space on this curve or in, in this space. And you can move the curve with some technologies or you can just choose where you operate on it. And that's just such an important concept when I think you think about this problem that I need, and you kind of needed to write it down to share it with people. Now it, it's, it's a well-known in the security industry, but like you need, like that's not the same as as us in the in, in call centers because like our way of thinking about this, these challenges are different. We need to put it in the right terms. It's not about kind of cryptographic security and how many bits you've got in your uh, algorithm and what the uh, whatever the crypto kind of way of thinking about it is. It's it's a, it's a different to that. So I th I th that that was what kind of drove me was to say like okay these these are these are important tools and I think the other bit was my. Like after I got, I got over the hurdle of right, I mean, I have to pay the mortgage and <laughs> I need to find clients. Like actually 
actually became more relaxed, more relaxed about that. And Kate came back to kind of what, what, what drives me, what gives me the most satisfaction. And it, and it's exactly that conversation I had with a client yesterday, like 73 million, that's 73 million people. And another yeah. client who's well over a hundred million of these now, it's like a hundred million. That's just an enormous number of people. And all those, none of those people had to answer, say their mother's maiden name. <laughs> uh, and I was like, wow, that, that's, that's such a, that, I mean, it's a tiny little niche and it's a minor little thing, but like you, if you can have, if I can have, like, if I can have just, if I can just get one or two more organizations to do that, that's, that's potentially millions and millions of interactions over the next 15, 20 years that are going to be better. People's lives are going to be better because of doing that. And I think that's, that's what kind of, like, I, I felt I had something more to give to this. And yes, there's a commercial angle to it. It's like there's an asserting your kind of expertise, but I felt it was something to give. And, and then the second bit of it was really for anyone who's start even started the process of writing a book, like it's incredibly soul searching <laughs> and encourages imposter syndrome on the, on like the scale you wouldn't believe, but it, it does force you to think. It forces you to think about like, this is the way I've always done it. Why have I done it that way? How would I explain to somebody that that's the right way to do it? Is it the right way to do it? <laughs> is that the right step? To, is that the right way to move from step A to B or step A to C through B? Or should I go through another direction? And, and just the process for me has been incredibly enlightening and has really consolidated my thinking around this, which allows me to be a lot more effective with clients. And, and in fact, in conversations like this, like it, it, it's just the process has been really, really great as well. And I think kind of, even if a book didn't come out at the end of it, um, then it, then that would have been worth it in, in its own right. But I'm really hoping that the book kind of enables a lot of people to do stuff themselves. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't actually get them to do it, at least gets them to evaluate whether it's worth doing. And that's why I've tried to write in this kind of accessible way. It's like, well, what is the problem? <laughs> how do I understand the extent of the problem and figure out what the range of solutions might be? And then if I'm going to implement those solutions, how do I, how do I deliver them? How do I be most successful with them? So we try to break it up into that kind of structure. Can you just talk about the kind of, I was struck by something you said then about it takes imposter syndrome kind of to another <laughs> level. What, what, can you just talk more to that? What is that? What did it actually feel like, and how did you overcome it? I, you're 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 right. You're you you write this stuff down, and then so I I, I was very I hired a coach to help me because like I. I <laughs> I think I wrote in my mother's book is like my teachers would never have believed that this I would ever write a book <laughs> when I sent it to her so not that she's probably ever going to read it either but the pro the coach was really helpful but and that kind of held me to accountability so there was a certain element of it which was like okay I have to do this I've agreed to do I've, I've told her I'm going to do this chapter by this date so I need to do this chapter by this date and send it to her and she'll send me feedback and you can get very stuck in the process of that so the, the actual kind of writing the first draft was kind of okay but then then you put the first draft together and you've got like a test version. And um, in the process I was using, I sent that out to about half a dozen people I know well in the industry and who, who are kind of acquaintances, but not close friends and asked them for their feedback. And these are experts. Yeah. And they're like putting that in the post, like the, like it was finished four weeks before I actually sent it in practice. I may have kind of changed the font once and moved some pages around, but it was, it was ready to go at that point. But you're just really worried. Like you're going to be evaluated by people. What are people really going to think? Are they going to like it? And that kind of human requirement to, to please was just like, and then, and then you kind of question yourself, who am I to write this? What do I know about this? I'm sending it to these people who I consider to be experts. Shouldn't they write it? Are they going to find holes in my argument? And, um, 
they found some holes, which is good. <laughs> uh, and we improved as a result of doing that. And that's a healthy process. But then you get back to the final, the final draft and you have to approve it for sign off. You're like, oh, I don't like that. I want to change this. I want to change that. Or should I do that differently? Or what are people going to think about it? And yeah. And, and so we, we're, we're, we're speaking now a, a week ahead of the official launch, which the, where the, the Kindle version will go down to 99 pence. So for two days, so 30th, 31st of March, just get that in quickly. I, I am petrified. <laughs> I am absolutely petrified. Like, what will people think uh, of this? And like, it's completely irrational, yeah. Because I like, this is this is my domain. Like, I I probably more than anyone else in in the world have deployed more of these projects at the coal face and understand how they work with more different organizations. Most organizations do this once and then move on to something else. And I've done it dozens of times. So I do know what I'm talking about. I have to remind myself that, but I'm still petrified that somebody's going to say something like, I, I got, a it is actually out already, but I got a three-star review on Amazon and I was like, oh, and no feedback. And I was like, oh no, someone doesn't like it. And I was almost in tears. My wife was like, well, have another gin and tonic. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll have another beer. And I was actually I was almost destroyed by this. It turns out it's my mother-in-law who doesn't know how to use the Amazon rating system. Uh, that's what but... she's saying. <laughs> Sorry? That's what she's saying. That's what she's saying. She, it's, it's gone back to five stars now, so I don't know <laughs> okay, what that, I don't, I don't, I think. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it, 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 is, it is difficult to put yourself out there, but then I have to keep coming back to that purpose. Yeah, like if I don't put myself out there, then fewer people are going to hear about this problem, recognize it and do something about it. And so I, that that's kind of, the process and the imposter is kind of what's kept me coming back to that mission as well, which I think is really, and stop, stop, yeah, to, to be really clear about that mission and kind of we're updating websites and marketing material and stuff at the moment. It's like, no, no, let's just be honest. Like our mission is to do everything possible to get stupid questions out of call centers. <laughs> and if that means writing books, if that means doing podcasts, if that means consulting for clients, if that means helping technology vendors come up with better solutions, if that means teaching classes, we'll do all of that because that's what we're here to do is to get rid of those stupid questions. And if that's the only dent, little tiny dent I make in the world is getting rid of some, some questions for some places, then I think that's kind of okay. I know, I know I there are bigger questions. things going on in the world right now, but, and, th and that's really challenging, but I think we've all got to kind of choose our, our battle. I love someone on a mission to make things better <laughs> in, in our industry. And you'll absolutely have, have my back. And like I say, it's, it's quite amazing really when you think, we have 6,000 call centers in the UK, about a million people working in them, and we all, everyone engages with them, yet there's hardly any literature out there that originates from the UK, certainly. So more power to you. Just remind, can you just remind, when is, when is it out again? So, so the, book, the book is out now. It's available on Amazon, both paperback and Kindle, or from other booksellers. On the 30th and 31st of March, the Kindle version will be 99 pence in the UK for, for 48 hours only as to kind of celebrate the launch. And our, our website, um, unlockyourcallcenter.com, which is both the US and English, US English and UK English spellings, just to help our uh, colleagues across the pond you'll be able to find out more information and in fact you can get a free you can get the first chapter free um, to download from there and that's where you'll find the tools and some some other interesting material there so yeah out, I, was, I was hoping to get it in time for people to put in their christmas stockings but we can't miss we can't miss that deadline i'm not sure it'll be that that exciting for people but yeah i i'd encourage people to get the book it's it's a start it's a starting point on this process yeah it I'm quite pleased with the way it's turned out. So I'm hoping that it will help people to kind of start this journey. And then if, depending on how far they get, I'm kind of here to help as well. Like that, that there's, there's, a, there's a lot more we can do in this space. And I, I, certainly my plans for this year are, 
are to kind of increase kind of tools and awareness and just stuff that's out there for free in the public domain to help people solve these problems. And we kind of talk about some of those in the book, but I've got some got some other exciting plans and stuff that just help bring this problem um, to life for more people. Do you think you'll do another book? Have you got the kind of we're going to have a period of like, just like you say, you've got other stuff going I, on. If you ask my family, I think they'd say, no, you can't. I, I, I honestly, I don't, I, th I think it's kind of for the moment, like if I thought about the kind of the tool set of things that I think I can provide to people to solve this problem, then I think the kind of the, the book is one of those tools in the toolbox. And I can't see, I can see there being updates as technology improves and as understanding improves and as new technology comes along, but I can't see there being a, a different, like this, this is the book if you to, to solve this, this problem. And I, I also can't necessarily see myself like that there's more than enough in this to take, take a lifetime of kind of work in this, in this space yet yeah, that there are, there are lots of other interesting domains in the call center that I'd love to be involved in and, and sometimes do, but like this is, this is the one I think. So I don't think there's another book, but let's come back to that. <laughs> well, Matt Smallman, author of Unlock Your Call Center. Thanks very much for coming on. Get that a wrap. I thought that was really, really interesting. Thank you. And good luck. Thanks very much for your time. Have a great afternoon. Thanks. As always, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Get Out of Rap. I would heartily recommend the, the book. I'm about 60, 60 pages in. Um, and on a subject you think wouldn't kind of keep you turning the pages, I, I definitely am. It's, it's really informative, just like that episode. I learned a lot from Matt, obviously a, an expert. Thanks very much again for listening. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and also have a look at YouTube. I'm on TikTok now doing team leader tips. And if you feel so inclined, please do drop in a review and rating of the podcast. Uh, it's great to see something about contact centers in the Apple charts. And that's thanks to, to you and the guests. So thank you very much.